Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 23, Youth of the Nation. Today I'm interviewing Brett Kunkel from Stand to Reason on the topic of youth ministry. I know I had said that uh, my next podcast would be on the topic of justification by faith alone, uh, but the Thanksgiving season being what it is, along with a cold that I've been fighting uh, and various other goings on in my life, I haven't been able to get around to it. Next week I'm interviewing Alan Schliemann, also from STR, on the topic of Islam, and then I'll probably take a break until after the New Year, so sometime after that uh, is when you can look forward to the Faith Alone episode, if in fact you're looking forward to it. I've noticed a sudden influx of fans on the The Apologetics Facebook page, which you know really has me thrilled. Uh, people that I don't recognize, people I don't know. Thank you guys so much for listening, it, it means a ton to me. Also, I received a comment on Facebook from one of the fans of The Apologetics that really touched me, and I'd like to read some of that comment. He wrote, I listen to your podcasts, along with others, every night, all night long during my third shift job. I appreciate what you're doing as it's been a blessing to me and my wife also as she listens to your podcasts time to time during her commute while borrowing my Zune. <laughs> Looks like these uh, these folks have a good taste in music players. Anyway, he goes on, keep up the great work and I appreciate you introducing me to some ideas I've not fully considered before. God bless you, bro, and you're defending the faith and powerlifting. It really blesses my heart when I receive this kind of feedback. It's not that it puffs me up or anything like that, but it really encourages me that the Lord is using me, this lowly, broken man, uh, to accomplish great things in the lives of his people. It really makes me want to press on in the face of you know various kinds of adversity. So I just want to say thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Now, speaking of powerlifting, I, I want to have uh, I want to say something briefly about that. Several episodes ago, I mentioned that I was training for an upcoming powerlifting competition and that I had a good 15 pounds or more to lose at the time. Well, as it turns out, I'm down to about one pound left to go, and my competition here is in about uh, three days, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah, three days away. Um, so it's looking like I'm in really good shape uh, to make weight, and I think that my numbers are going to be pretty good. I'm really looking forward to it. But if you're so inclined, I would ask you to continue to pray for me. Um, not that I would win, um, but that I would give it my best, that I would glorify God in the midst of it, um, and that uh, and that the Lord would keep me safe. I'm getting up there, I'm 30 years old, and, uh, you know, <laughs> bad things could happen. If you want to see how I did after the competition's over, check out my powerlifting blog at chrisdatepower.blogspot.com. I'll post pictures and videos there, and you can find out how I did, and maybe I'll make a brief announcement in my next episode as well. Well, uh, I've got another new podcast to promote, so let me play a little promo that I've put together for this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Confident Christianity Podcast. Grace and peace to you. I'm Mary Jo Sharp, the founder of Confident Christianity Apologetics Ministry. I'm glad you could join me as we spur Christians on to maturity and unity in Christ while discussing the difficult questions about belief in God. Mary Jo Sharp's Confident Christianity podcast and blog is, is a good one. It's a little bit unique, I think, in that it's geared largely, not exclusively, but largely toward women, um, equipping them to uh, answer the difficult questions of the faith, um, which I think is really cool. I don't think that a lot of resources do that. So check her resource out at confidentchristianity.com. Uh, maybe I'll ask her if I can interview her on my show on um, apologetics and women. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, but anyway, let's move into today's interview. Because we are, we are, the 
Joining me today is Brett Kunkel, Student Impact Director at Stand to Reason. Thanks so much for joining me today, Brett. Uh, glad to be with you doing this uh, podpa- podcast, Chris. <laughs> um, really quick before we get started, I'm not a follower of football, but your Facebook profile photo is the Pittsburgh Steelers logo. How's your team doing? <laughs> I am a follower of football, and my team is doing well right now. Eight and three, big game next Sunday. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good season for the Steelers. Well, congratulations. Um, before we jump into the topic that we're going to be discussing today, I'd like to get to know you a little bit, uh, starting with your testimony, if you don't mind. What's, what's your story, and how did the Christian faith become a meaningful part of your life? Well, I, uh, my, my parents both were non-Christians when they were married. My mom actually is, is Vietnamese, grew up in Vietnam, so she actually grew up with a Buddhist background. My dad... Uh, grew up in a Lutheran church, but, um, you know, it was all ritual for him. He, he wasn't a, a believer. And, uh, it was, so when I was, when I was a baby, my, my parents both came to faith in Christ. And so I ended up, uh, growing up in a Christian home and we, my parents were, got involved in a, uh, a solid, uh, Baptist church back in Maryland on the East Coast. And, um, uh, so, I look at kind of my, you know, my, my growing up in, in that church as a kind of a, a really key, uh, component of me coming to faith. It was actually in that church that, um, I, uh, uh, I received Christ at the age of five and was baptized at six and, and the church played just a big role in, in my discipleship during my elementary, uh, years. Uh, so I grew up in a Christian home. Um, we ended up moving to, Southern California when I was in junior high school was involved. We found another solid church, uh, that just had a youth ministry and a youth pastor and the pastor that were just, um, huge influences in terms of discipleship in my life. And so, uh, uh, so I, I came to Christ at a very, very young age and, um, grew up in the church, but unlike a lot of people who may, <laughs> Who, you know, you hear stories where they, they end up growing up in the church and having bad experiences. I just had a wonderful experience in the body of Christ. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so, uh, Christ has been, uh, been a central part of my life since, uh, since I was very young. That's awesome. Um, well, how did you get involved with, uh, youth ministry? What, what led to your passion for equipping youth? Well, it was that church and when we moved to Southern California and my, we, our family had gotten involved in the, the church uh, out here. The youth pastor there uh, had, had taken just a, um, a huge interest in in me and actually in some other young men at the church, and he was a huge mentor. And so it was actually kind of with his prodding a little bit. I when I was in high school ministry, uh, he was. He had kind of a, we called it, you know, discipleship class that he took, uh, a number of us through. And it was kind of through that, those classes and then through him actually suggesting to me that maybe I had to think about youth ministry, which is first mention of that. I thought he was crazy. I had never considered going <laughs> into, I never thought, you know, a vocational ministry and, sure. um, uh, had some, you know, had some ideas about it that uh, it was you know really difficult and I didn't necessarily want to do that, but uh, with some of his guidance, uh, he also gave me some opportunities to experience ministry as an intern, uh, and, and really uh, uh, he he it was really I think maybe my junior year in high school where I kind of wrestled with this as he was kind of prodding me and um, and I had just seen the the way that God had used his influence, uh, my youth pastor's influence on me, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to disciple me. And so I think a number of those factors kind of came together and I decided to, that I wanted to, uh, to do youth ministry. Yeah. Well, you know, I discovered you through one of my favorite ministries, uh, Stand to Reason, where you're now the student impact director. Can you kind of tell us what, what that is and how you took that role on at STR? Well, how I came to STRs, uh, uh, interesting. I actually had been doing youth ministry 
uh, for about 11 years before I joined Stand to Reason. I was seven years in Southern California as a junior high pastor, uh, four years in Colorado, and uh, decided I wanted to come back to Southern California while we were in Colorado to come back to uh, do the philosophy program at Talbot, the Master's in Philosophy. And so kind of it was a big step of faith for my wife and I to, to kind of move ourselves back from Cal- Colorado where we had to kind of establish some roots. And uh, we, I, I knew I wanted to join the program at Talbot, had been accepted, uh, but of course didn't have any, didn't have a job, didn't have a way to pay the bills. Um, and I just had my third child, or at least my wife had our third child. Um, <laughs> We, uh, so we, we packed everything up. My wife and the kids flew back. I, I had to drive, uh, you know, about a, about an 18 hour drive with the uh, moving truck and all of our belongings back to Southern California. And was thinking, how in the world am I going to support the family? Huh. I knew I was, I was wanting to move into more teaching ministry, uh, wanted to focus on teaching, specifically teaching, you know, clear thinking, apologetics and philosophy. Well, a couple of years prior, I had called Stan to Reason to uh, to see if I could book Greg for a youth conference. And I remember at that time, the, the response was, well, Greg's not the greatest with young people. <laughs> uh, you know, see if you can find someone else. Mm. So I had kind of filed that away and thought, man, that's a, that's a real bummer. Yeah. So, uh, so I got this crazy idea driving from Colorado in my moving truck back to southern california i thought i'm gonna call stan reason out of the blue see if they would be interested in having someone come and uh, take what they do and euthatize it uh and 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 do it with young people and so that was uh, the kind of the the motivation or the the impetus to to give stan reason a call when i got back to southern california this was back in 2003 called him up out of the blue and uh yeah the rest is history as they say I like that word euthatize. I'm going to have to start using that in my vocabulary. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, sometimes I, I used to say euthanized, but... Uh, a totally different actually... meaning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, let's talk about youth ministry. Uh, I'm a parent of three with, you know, Lord willing, plans to have more. Um, so I've got a bit of a vested interest. Before we talk about how I think you and I would agree youth ministry ought to change, um, let's talk about what it often looks like today. Were I not very particular... Uh, in choosing ways to get my kids involved, what would youth ministry probably look like for them uh, as they get into junior high, high school, and beyond? Yeah, well, the typical youth ministry is um, what you'd find is if you, if you you know go to a church on Sunday, they'll probably uh, the first thing they'll do is the, the the youth ministry will will take your young person, segment them off from the rest of the church, kind of have their own personal private uh, youth service. Um, and uh, and they'll do that for you know that hour and fifteen minutes, hour and a half, while you know the adults are in kind of their service. They'll do that on a Sunday, um, and then on typically they'll have a Wednesday night program, which oftentimes is a kind of reflection of the same thing, but it's you know typically about an hour and a half on a midweek night, where you know the typical program has uh, some kind of game or crowd breaker, some kind of music. Uh, Worship, and then there's usually a message that's you know probably about you know thirty minutes or so, some announcements that kind of thing, and uh, and that's what you get on Sunday. That's what you get on Wednesday, and then periodically, you know, typically maybe once a month there will be uh, uh, you know some kind of fun event, you know, bowling or you know an overnighter or something like that. So that's that is the structure of a lot of youth ministries out there. Sounds like mine. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that's that. So you get maybe, let's say, uh, you know, maybe an average of uh, if your kid is really committed and goes to everything, your kid's going to get an average of maybe you know three, three and a half hours a week in the, in the youth ministry. About about maybe an hour of that time, an hour and a half of that time, is going to be spent um, on you know teaching. And, uh, and, and training. And certainly, you know, the games and that kind of stuff, we, we maybe put that under the category of, you know, fellowship or, you know, relationship building or things, things like that. But, but, um, you know, in terms of any kind of real serious, systematic 
training of our young people, you're just not going to find it in the typical youth ministries. Hmm. Well, so what sort of confidence can I have as a uh, parent of or a Christian parent that this typical style of youth ministry is going to prepare my kids for the challenges, uh, you know, to their faith that they're likely to encounter? I mean, do the statistics suggest that they'll be in pretty good shape? And, and if not, why not? Do you think? Yeah. Well, if you rely on uh, a youth ministry like that, um, then you can actually have no confidence that uh, it's going to prepare your students f- for the challenges that they're going to face. Mm. Um, uh, what you're going to find is that um, young people are going to school. Of course, you know if your if your kids going to public school, they're going to school typically. You know, eight o'clock to two thirty. Uh, so there, you've got your kid in school anywhere from, you know, six to eight hours a day at school, five days a week. Mm. Um, they are in front of a, a screen, whether it's a television screen, a computer screen, a smartphone screen, they're going to be in front of a screen on average seven and a half hours a day. And this is according to a recent uh, study, uh, by the, um, Kaiser Family Foundation. Uh, so when you when you take just those two factors right there, screen time and uh, time in in public education, uh, and you you compare that to the amount of time they're going to have in a typical youth ministry, uh, you can see that as a parent you can't have a whole lot of confidence that uh, your, your young people are going to be uh, prepared for those kind of kind of challenges. And statistics suggest that young people are are uh, walking out the door of our churches hmm. when they go off to college for some period of time. And so you have Barna who says, hey, it looks like it's 61%. A Lifeway study in 2007 says 70%, uh, 61 to 70% from the, you know, any, from kind of ages of 18 to 22, you got 61 to 70% of our young people walking out the doors. Hmm. Now, some do, some do come back. Uh, but they don't all come back, and uh, many don't come back. And uh, in fact, there's a recent article, um, I think it was entitled "The Leavers" by a guy uh, f- named Drew uh, Dyke, who is uh, r- was writing for Christianity Today. That uh, you know, he suggests, hey, there are a number of factors that um, that suggest are these young people who do leave, uh, we have less and less confidence that they are going to come back. So, uh, yeah, so the situation, if you rely on your youth ministry to, to uh, disciple young people getting prepared for the challenges, it's, it, it's not a, it's not a very optimistic, uh, outlook. That's kind of scary. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, you know, I listened to your recent appearance on Brian Otten's podcast, uh, the Apologetics 315, and, um, you described there what you said were, were three of the biggest problems facing youth today, which might contribute to the numbers that you just gave. And maybe we could talk about those briefly. Um, you know, and, and the first one you listed in terms of ideas was relativism. Uh, you said that it was one of the biggest challenges that young people face. Tell us about that and, uh, and how, from your experience, we can prepare our youth for the, the problem of relativism. Yeah, well, uh, relativism is, is a huge challenge because it really is part of the air that young people breathe uh, in the culture, culturally speaking. So young people live in this culture, and they're constantly bombarded by relativistic messages. So what ends up happening is they don't come to, you know, relativistic views by careful, you know, analysis and careful reflection. They just simply absorb it. Mm. It's uh, it, They're just swimming in a sea of relativism. And, uh, and they're all wet with it. And so, um, and, and I, and I, I know this just from, I, of course, just, you know, studies that are done, but just from, in, in, in what's confirmed that is just my work with young people, uh, through Stand a Reason. And so one of the things that, that, that I do is I do a lot of, you know, speaking on the topic of truth. And really, if I'm working with a, you know, a youth group or a ministry for the first time, you know, one of my first talks that I want to do is a talk on truth because I know that many of those young people, when it comes to, uh, religion and morality, when it comes to their religious views and their moral views, they're relativists. Mm. You know, typically they're not, you know, when it comes to scientific claims, mathematical claims, they're not relativists. 
but when it comes to religion morality, they are. And so, so I do a, I have a kind of a standard talk that I do on, on truth. And, and what I do initially is I, I just make a distinction between objective and subjective truth, uh, using some analogies, using ice cream and insulin. And, uh, and students can understand that and they, they understand it. And then what I do after that is I offer them a test, a 10 statement test where I ask them to identify if these certain claims are, uh, you know, if a particular claim is an objective claim or a subjective claim. Mm. So I'll say that guy's shirt is red. Well, that's an objective claim. Red is the best color. Well, that's a subjective claim. And, and students, they, they nail that. They, that's it. That's an easy one for them. Right. And, but then the last four claims, two are religious and two are moral. Uh, when I get to those claims, that's where the confusion ensues and you get young people beginning to, uh, you know, when I make the religious claims, I don't know. I would guess probably on average, you know, half the group uh, affirms relativism when it comes to their religious claims. When we get to the moral claims, it actually jumps up. I would say maybe, you know, 75, 85 percent of the young people in a typical youth group that I speak at would identify those claims as subjective. Mm. And uh, and so what I do, I, I do that test as a way to help them see their own views because right. most of them don't even, you know, like I said, they haven't carefully reflected on this. And so they need to see how they affirm relativism and then what are the consequences of that. And so then I, I lay out for them the consequences. And that's what I think we need to do with our young people with this particular issue is first of all, help them to see that they've simply absorbed this viewpoint, what the viewpoint is and, uh, and, uh, just the bankruptcy of relativism, you know, yeah. how it's just absurd and, and these kinds of things. And so uh, I think that's the first step with young people. Yeah, that's good. And you said the people that, t- the, the, the kids that take these, te- this test are largely kids that have grown up in this kind of youth ministry we've talked about. Oh yeah. These are typical, you know, church kids. Many of them grown up in the church and, uh, you know, they would, you know, you know, majority of students in a typical youth group are going to affirm faith in Christ. <clears throat> so these are, you know, these are our, our Christian kids. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, the second big challenge that you described on that podcast was uh, apathy. Um, so in what ways uh, are our youth apathetic and, and why? And how do you think that parents and ministries can encourage our youth to be less apathetic and, and more passionate about their faith? Yeah, I, I think... You know, I think one of the things that uh, leads to the apathy that young people have, uh, it, it, when I say apathy, I mean apathy in regards to their 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 Christianity. Mm. You know, I, I wouldn't say that young people are apathetic about everything in life. Sure. Although, you know, you know, there certainly are young people like that. But, um, but when it, particularly when it comes to religion and morality. And now I, I think one of the contributing factors is this relativism that they have regarding those issues, those subjects. In fact, there was a, a, a book that came out in 2005 called Soul Searching. Sociologist Christian Smith, who, uh, who was at North Carolina, he's now at Notre Dame, really was kind of the lead researcher, headed up the study on the religious and spiritual lives of American teenagers. And, uh, this, after, you know, after doing this in-depth study, he kind of released the major findings in this book, Soul Searching. And what Smith finds is the same thing. He finds this, this kind of relativism when it comes to religion and morality. And, uh, what he finds is that religion really operates in the background of young people's lives. Mm. It, it's there in the background, you know, Many think that God exists, but he's, he's, you know, he's there to make me happy and I only go to him when uh, I'm in trouble, you know, when there's some kind of conflict or I need something. So for the rest of life, he, he's back there in the background and, uh, he, there's no meaningful interaction between what I do at, you know, in the classroom at school for the majority of my time, my, uh, you know, what I'm doing with my friends, what I do at work. Uh, there's no connection between between the two. And so I think a lot of times what's uh, what's communicated by our culture and even sometimes by our churches is that there is no meaningful interaction between our Christianity, our views about Christ, our views about God, and what we spend the rest of our lives doing. 
Mm. You know, and so therefore God becomes irrelevant. So uh, when I, you know, when I'm a high school student and I'm sitting in my geometry class, God is simply irrelevant to uh, mathematics. Yeah. When I'm sitting in my history class or my science class, God's irrelevant. He, th- there's no interaction there. There's no integration. And so I, I think that is one reason why young people are so apathetic because they just don't know. They have no idea how this stuff relates yeah. to every area of life. Uh, they know that, you know, they're supposed to do a, you know, a 15 minute quiet time in the morning, but that's, you know, that's about it when it comes to their interaction with God. And so I think that's one of the contributing factors for the apathy. Uh, now, what I think we have to do is we have to somehow, we got to figure out ways to shake them out of that. Right. And, um, I, I, you know, I think there's a number of things we can do, but I think one of the things that I've been trying to do just through my work at Standard Reason is offer them some challenges, is to put their faith in Christ at stake. So I, I've been, you know, one of the, the, the presentations I've added to, to my list of presentations is, uh, an atheist role play and a Mormon role play. So where I'll come into a youth ministry and, uh, you know, oftentimes they'll think I'm a, uh, you know, maybe a local community college professor and an, and an atheist and the youth pastor will give me an opportunity to, to just kind of have at the students. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so I just can quickly dismantle their Christianity. They don't have much of a defense. And, uh, that, you know, that kind of thing helps shake them out of their apathy because they, you know, for not, not for every single kid, but for most kids where they realize, gosh, there's, you know, there's something really at stake here. Mm. Uh, you know, this guy's claiming this stuff isn't true. And if it's not true, then what the heck am I doing here? You know, um, so that's one way we can shake them out of their apathy. Uh, get them. I think oftentimes, uh, they're just on the bench yeah. when it comes to, you know, Christianity and we got to get them in the game. I mean, just take a, if anyone out there, you know, play sports, you know, that the bench warmers, uh, if you bench warm the entire season, you're going to be more apathetic about the game than the starters. Yeah. And so, uh, one thing that we got to do is get them in the game in different ways. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you mentioned, uh, uh, our faith being, or our kids' faith being in the background. Let's talk about something in the foreground. Uh, you know, the third challenge that you mentioned was technology. So uh, you, you briefly touched on this a few questions ago, but how does technology pose a challenge to our youth today? Um, and as a parent of several children yourself, you must deal with this challenge on a daily basis. I know that I do. Um, how do you handle that? And is there some ways that we could use technology to our advantage? Yeah, well, yeah, there's a lot there. I like I mentioned that Kaiser Family Foundation, young people on average are spending, you know, seven and a half hours a day in front of some screen. Uh, so this is a real challenge for parents. It's actually the activity they do the most, uh, aside from sleeping. Huh. So, um, so it is a challenge, I think, number one in just limiting that time. And, you know, I've learned this is something I'm, I'm just, I'm in the midst of my, myself as a parent. I've got a 16 year old, a nine year old, a seven year old, and a three year old. So, uh, we're kind of at all different levels here. But, um, I think number one, what we're doing as parents is, uh, the first thing we're doing is limiting the amount of screen time our, our, our kids have. So, uh, we, uh, we limit, you know, the number, the, the amount of t- TV shows. Uh, just one thing that's really practical on that is we have a, uh, you know, we have a DVR. And so we have kids, we have our kids try to record the shows <laughs> that they do want to watch so that we can have them, you know, instead of turning on the TV, flipping through the channels, and then, you know, before you know it, two hours are, are gone and your kids spend two hours in front of the TV, we have them watch, a, you know, one particular half-hour show. And at the end of it, you know, the recording stops and we have, you know, we turn off the TV kind of thing. Mm. So that's one way that it's just one real practical way that, that, that can help, you know, parents manage screen time. Um, we, uh, we rarely, my wife and I both have iPhones and our kids want to, you know, Hey mom, can I, can I play on your <laughs> iPhone? And, uh, we, we constantly say no to that one. We make it actually kind of a special thing rather than every time that we get into the car. Or, you know, every time we're, we're sitting somewhere where we're waiting in line or something, ra- you know, and our, our kids say, hey, can I see the iPhone? Rather than say yes to all that, we say no a lot. And we, we, we let them know, hey, this is, it's a privilege to, you know, play on the iPhone. We're not going to do it all the time. 
Um, and, uh, and so we just have to, you know, say no to that because, you know, it's so easy for, for the time in front of the screen to add up when you take the TV and you add the iPhone and then you add a computer, you know, uh, when our kids, uh, you know, our kids want to go on the computer and, you know, my, my nine-year-old son, he likes to go and play this, uh, you know, this club, this Disney club penguin thing. <laughs> well, when we give him computer time, we, we, we set a limit and we set a timer. So we'll say, okay, you got, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes to do that. But then we set the timer. We tell him when the timer goes off, you know, you're off. So I think the first, the first step is to just, is to limit the amount of exposure. Mm. And, uh, uh, then secondly, um, you meant you asked, you know, can we use technology uh, f- to our advantage? And I think so, absolutely. Uh, but I'm careful of not uh, of, uh, I guess, overstating. I think some of the advantages because I, I'm not sure. I think the liabilities are really big, hmm. and uh, and especially at younger ages, the more exposure. The more they're addicted to it, I think the harder it is to, you know, to break those patterns as they get older. Sure. So I'm very careful with my younger ones. Um, and even, even my high schooler, we, uh, we actually had to learn the hard way because, uh, our, our high schooler, you know, she's kind of been our guinea pig in this whole, (laughs) this whole process. And, you know, we, we held out on a cell phone for her for a long time. Uh, you know, until junior high. And that was apparently, that was pretty, uh, pretty late. She was one of the only kids in her entire school who hadn't had a cell phone as a junior higher. And, uh, uh, and so we actually linked, the way we did gave her her cell phone is we, we told her, you know, she'd have to, she'd have to kind of do something big to earn it. And she actually went on a, uh, international mission trip oh, wow. to, to earn her cell phone. And we told her, okay, if you go on this trip, then we'll give you a cell phone for the trip so that we can be in contact. And, and so we actually are going to do that with each of our kids and make it, make the kind of the cell phone kind of a, an earned thing that, uh, that they'll do, you know, something significant like that. But, uh, you know, she got a cell phone junior high. We let her get on, uh, Facebook and, um, we ended up having to rein her in, pull her back, take some of that stuff away. And he, I think maybe here's the, maybe the second step is, you know, first you limit the time, but then secondly, what you got to do is then you slowly give them access uh, to these kind of things on their own. So, you know, you don't, you don't throw, you know, full access to a laptop and uh, a, a cell phone and, you know, um, and this kind of thing at a kid all at once. Yeah. They, they just don't, especially, especially your junior hires, they don't have the maturity to manage that on their own. And so you've got to just, you got to be on top of it. And, I know parents are busy and, you know, sometimes both parents are working. It's, you got a lot on your plate, but this is one area that we really as parents have to manage because so much information can come through that screen and so much material and exposure to things that, uh, that we do not want our young people exposed to comes through that screen. If we don't, if we are not careful to manage it, um, our, our young people are, are going to be exposed to things we definitely don't want them exposed to. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not just talking about, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, uh, but I'm, I'm talking about the messages, the oh, worldview, sure. you know, that, that come through. So, Yeah, absolutely. Well, well let's, shift, let's shift gears a bit. Um, you know, we've talked about how a typical approach to youth ministry misses the mark, and we've talked about some of the big challenges facing our youth today. I want to talk about some of the things um, that you have put together that we can do to start preparing kids to face these kinds of challenges. Um, in the inaugural episode of your podcast, Bulletproof, you briefly outlined a four-point approach um, that maybe we could talk about. What was the first step in that approach? Yeah, the first step is... Uh simply elevate your expectations of your young people. I think, uh, you know, the approach to youth ministry in many churches, and I don't think this would be the approach of the youth pastor per se. I think youth pastors, you know, they're, they're, they're good men and women who, uh, have great motivation, but I think oftentimes kind of the larger church views it as, you know, glorified, you know, babysitting that, uh, that these are the, you know, the, the, the kind of the, the children of the church and, they're not ready for the real stuff yet. And and so we kind of segment them off. But, uh, 
just from my work with young people uh, for, you know, gosh, almost 18 years now, uh, I we have got to elevate our expectations and realize that they are young people are capable of so much, mm. and so they can handle a lot more than we often give them credit for, and uh, not just in terms of their energy and, and what they can do in terms of service, but intellectually as well. And I wanna I wanna say, look, look at your young person in high school and look at the material that they're expected to know and learn in high school. And uh, that right there tells you that they, they're able to handle lots of the, you know, the, the, the teaching, the theology, the apologetics, the worldview stuff that we need to give them in the church. Mm. Well, now, how do you find that young people respond um, to these kinds of elevated expectations? I mean, I suppose even I would fall into this trap a little bit, but certainly a, a lot of parents and ministries are skeptical that their kids can really handle apologetics and systematic theology, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Young people, number one, I think a lot of times they feel dignified when you elevate your expectations. They, they, they know that you're, you don't think that, uh, you don't think, lo- you don't have a low view of them. Mm. And so it actually is dignifying for them. And oftentimes, you know, when you, when you, you kind of tell someone, Hey, you know what? I think you're capable of this. I, you know, I really, I think you can handle this kind of stuff and you, you know, you give them that kind of dignity and respect. They often want to rise to it. Mm. And, and just from, again, from 18 years of experience, I have seen young people rise up to those kind of expectations. And, um, uh, you know, I remember being a junior high pastor and teaching apologetics to my junior hires. And sometimes I think, gosh, man, am I, Am I out of my mind here? Am I blowing them out of the water? And I would even have parents who'd push back a little bit on some of the material that I would, I would teach young people. But, you know, I remember teaching my junior hires the Kalam cosmological argument. And I would teach them the, you know, I would, I would give them the, the terminology, but then I would break down the argument for young people. And, um, and I, you know, I would, I would question myself. Gosh, are they, are they really getting this? I have a skepticism on my own part. But <laughs> I remember one time I was talking to one of my junior high boys, uh, a little seventh grader. Uh, his name's Cody, and I, I was actually after a youth group one night talking with him, and he was telling me about this friend of his at school who was an atheist, hmm. and uh, he was talking about, you know, they were been talking about God and stuff. And so I said, Cody, well, what, what'd you say to him? And I'll never forget, Cody just, as serious as can be, he said, well, I just, I just, uh, used the Kalam cosmological argument on him. <laughs> and I did, I, you know, I about fell over when, uh, this little seventh grade boy is, you know, is telling me that he used the Kalam cosmological argument yeah. on his, uh, on his friend. And, uh, it just showed me that, that, that young people can handle it. Uh, they, they can understand this stuff and, um, and not that they get it all in the first sitting, sure. but, uh, you know, we develop a culture of high expectations for young people and they'll rise up to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so after we've elevated our expectations, uh, what's the next step? Uh, well, in the four steps that I lay out, this next step is equip their minds. So, uh, this, this means going beyond the typical message, uh, of love Jesus and be good. You know, and that's, I think, how you can summarize a lot of the teaching that young people get, particularly in our youth ministries. I, you know, it, they just repack, we just repackage that, those two messages, you know, love, love Jesus and be good. Of course, those are important, yeah. but if that is the, uh, if that is the breadth and depth of our teaching, um, our, our young people are in trouble. So we have to, we have to, um, uh, equip their minds with theology, uh, apologetics, uh, and philosophy, good thinking. Mm-hmm. I think those three things need to be integrated, um, into our, uh, into our, our, our teaching of young people. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we elevate our expectations and then we equip our youth by giving them the, uh, the mental tools necessary to face the challenges that they face. Uh, what's the third step in this approach? Third step is uh, engage them in experiences, and this is that idea that I mentioned earlier of uh, you know get them off the bench. Okay, so you do your classroom teaching. So you te- you know you do a, a you know a six week series on you know tough apologetic questions. 
Well, after you do that, uh, or and and of course this is also in you know applied to the home as well. I, I when I lay out these four steps. I think that they can be applied not only to youth ministries, but also in our homes. I mean, this is kind of the approach that I take with my kids. Mm. Is that after I do the training with them, after I teach them the, you know, the apologetic, uh, then I want to figure out ways to get them into the game. I want to get, figure out ways for them to, to interact with this material, particularly with a non-believer. And so one of the things that I, you know, that uh, I think we ought to do is, uh, and I actually did this as a youth pastor, is if I'm going to teach on, let's just say I, I do a series on world religions, well, let's say I do two weeks on Mormonism, I'm going to find a, a, a Mormon temple nearby that has a visitor center, or I'm going to contact a local uh, Mormon bishop or some missionaries, and I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to, to then get my young people in front of some Mormons, some real life Mormons, to interact, to, to, to ask questions. Uh, to then begin interacting with that material so that it doesn't just stay in the classroom, but now they begin to, uh, they begin to articulate it. And I think this is one of the key components to training young people is not only teaching them what they believe or what we believe and why we believe it, but then helping them to articulate that. Mm. And then they really learn the material. They really begin to earn, internalize it. So, uh, uh, you know, and how this might work out in my home is, Look, I, you know, as I teach my kids theology, uh, uh, I invite more missionaries over to the house. Wow. In fact, not, not too long ago, we had uh, a couple of, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, show up at the door and they, I invited them in and they said, well, can we set up a, you know, an appointment for, uh, you know, sometime the following week? I said, sure. They came over one night, had them sit down at my kitchen table and I, and I said, hey, you guys mind, uh, my whole, I'd like my whole family to sit in on this conversation. And they, they were a little surprised at that. And I, <laughs> but they, they said, sure. And so I, I, I brought out, you know, my wife, uh, and, and four kids all sat at the kitchen table with us. And I could see, you know, the, these Jehovah Witness, uh, witnesses were a little taken back that, you know, all of our kids were sitting there, even my, my three year old. Mm. Um, but uh, I wanted them involved in that process. I wanted them to see, uh, the interaction that I was having with this, this gentleman, uh, to hear the conversation we were having. And then to also see the way that I was treating him. Mm. To see that, uh, you know, even though I, I think his ideas are false and are, uh, you know, are, 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 are bad ideas, I, I still treat the man with dignity and respect because he's made in the image of God. Yeah. So, you know, and when, after we did that with our kids, once the uh, missionaries left, you know, we, then we just did a little debrief with the kids. We asked them questions. We asked them what they thought of it, what, what they remembered that, you know, that the, the Jehovah's Witness, uh, had said and, and did our own little debrief on the, on the thing. So, um, so that's a third step is just, is to engage them in different experiences where they'll get to really get in the game. Yeah. It's, that's amazing. You know, I've met with missionaries and, and Jehovah's Witnesses and people like that. And that doing that by myself uh, is really intimidating by itself, <laughs> let alone having my kids there, um, which, you know, I sort of, I, I guess, leads us to the fourth step. You know, we elevate our expectations. We equip our kids. We get them engaged. Um, but there's a fourth really vital step. And, and what's that? Yeah, that is um, embodying the truth yourself. And so you you have to live out what you teach. Mm. You know, you you can't you can't tell your young pe you, your uh, you know your young people that they need to limit their uh, the amount of time they're watching TV and that they need to you know read more books and then they see you in front of the you know the television you know all the time. Um, if you expect your kids to read, you've got to be a reader. Mm. Uh, you know that's the first step. If you expect them to discipline themselves when it comes to television and, and technology you've got to do the same thing you know um uh and so you've got to live out the truth now this doesn't mean that you have to have it all together so let's just go back to that you know sitting at the the kitchen table with the mormon missionaries and you're there with your you know your kids your kids are watching you and then the mormons challenge you with something that you don't know how to answer well, that's okay. That's when you 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 say, "Oh, that's a great question. I don't know how to answer that one." Uh, and and so it's not modeling for your young people that you have all the answers sure. to every question, you know, um, at the same time. But but then what you do is say, "Look, that's a good question. 
uh, you know what, would you guys give me a, a week to look into that and let me consider that and think about that and do some study and then, you know, come back next week and, and let's talk about that. And so then what you do is you're modeling for your young people humility. Um, but then, then what you do that week is you go study. In fact, if your kids are sitting with you and they've heard you say you don't know and then you're going to study it, well, then don't go study it on your own. Study it with your kids. Yeah. Say, all right, kids, help me out on this one. Let's do this together. And so then let's be prepared for next week when the missionaries come back. And uh, let's answer this question together. So it doesn't mean that you are the guru who has all the answers. And, you know, uh, no, it, part of embodying the truth is, uh, is, is learning together yeah. and letting them see that you, you know, you're always a learner. You're always growing. And, um, yeah, that's the, that's the fourth step that's without that step, you know, the really the other three steps are, uh, are going to typically fall on uh, deaf ears. Oh yeah. Our, our children oftentimes, you know, their, their, their behavior, their worldview is more often caught than taught, I think. And if our, uh, uh, if we're not embodying what we're teaching, I think you're absolutely right that the rest of the points don't really, uh, take effect. Well, so, you know, what I want to talk about now really quick is, is, um, an approach that you've put together for mission trips that really uh, uh, exemplify these four steps in action. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, we. Uh, when I was actually an undergrad in college, I went on a, a mission trip to Utah, where we were just put in different situations to engage Mormons, and we were we were trained beforehand. And so then we go up to Utah and we just have all these theological conversations. And that played a significant role in my life in terms of my uh, growing in my theological development. And um, it, it was uh, a, a challenging time and uh, and a lot of growth happened in a short amount of time. And so what I did as a youth pastor is I tried to replicate this and, and did uh, Utah mission trips. And then when I came on at Stand to Reason, I did the same thing and it was uh, had taken one youth group in particular here in Southern California to Utah, took them up there for two years. The youth pastor had just seen the huge impact that Utah had. We did um, eight weeks of training before we went up there. Then we go up there, we just throw, you know, the young people in, in all kinds of situations where they are able to interact with Mormons. They get challenged, so we do more training while we're up there. But young people just grow leaps and bounds. This youth pastor, uh, after two years at Utah, he said, this trip has just been so transformative of my young people. He said, um, I was wondering if you could put together a trip that focuses more on apologetics and philosophy. Hmm. You know, because Utah, we focus a lot on theology and, and, and scripture. And so it was just on his kind of uh, off-the-cuff suggestion. He said, you know, uh, take us to Berkeley or something. He was, I think he was trying to think of the most radical place, <laughs> you know, he could think of. Uh, so uh, I said, okay, let me let me see what I can do. And I we kind of built this Berkeley trip from the ground up. Same kind of approach, get young people and opportunities where uh, they can engage after you've trained them. And so uh, we put together the Berkeley trip, and we go up to Berkeley, California, and there's no shortage of atheists up in the Bay Area and no shortage of anti-Christian thought up there. And we just give young people opportunities to, to talk with atheists. We take them onto Berkeley's campus. They get to talk to students. We do uh, we do what we call conversational surveys on campus. But basically the point is to get them, this is one way that we try to get them off the sideline and into the game. And it is, it's hard to describe the impact that I get to see in young people after these trips. I mean, young people get fired up and, uh, and, and they get trained like, like never before. I mean, there's, there's, this is the most in-depth training they're ever going to get mm. because we do the training beforehand. But then when we take them up, we we pack out the uh, the itinerary so that they're doing multiple things throughout the entire day. And then we're training throughout the day. We're debriefing. You know, there's there's just a constant training throughout. And uh, and and but what we see at the end of that is just young people light up, and the, and and there's just this kind of growing passion you see in them. And uh, it's amazing because the passion is linked to knowledge. As they grow in their knowledge, as they grow in their knowledge of you know theology and apologetics, there's this uh, this passion that grows with it. And so there's not this separation between head and heart that we often see in the church. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, now, I've got a question that dawned on me this morning, and so I didn't get them to you in advance, but for those of us who might be concerned, as I am, that, that our church's youth ministries aren't really equipping our kids uh, for some of these challenges we've talked about, how do you recommend we go about approaching our church leadership uh, You know, with this desire that we might have to see them improve youth ministry, and, and what sorts of practical suggestions can we make? Yeah, uh, a couple things. I think, number one, you, sometimes you have to wake parents up. You have to help um, help them see that there is a real threat to uh, the faith of their young people, hmm. and and I don't mean you know I don't mean just be an alarmist uh, uh, just because, but I mean really kind of carefully laying out the real threat to to the faith of young people. We know that uh, you know given you know the a number of studies. Uh, we know that the college campus is a hostile place to Christianity. We know certain views dominate the uh, the faculty there. Uh, so we know they're going to get constant exposure. And you've got plenty of anecdotal evidence of people who have gone to college, had a professor who's ripped them apart, and they've walked away from the faith kind of thing. Uh, we can also look at the, the moral, the moral uh, environment on the college campus as well. Uh, and then you, you know, and you talk to parents about the stats that we have from Barna and from Lifeway about the number of young people that walk away. So I think maybe one of the first step in our churches is to help make leadership, make, help make parents aware of the real threat to the, the faith of their young people. And what often happens, of course, when you, when there's a threat to someone's kids, they, they wake up. You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, don't mess with, uh, you know, the bear cub because you're going to get, you know, ma- you know, mama, <laughs> mama grizzly. <Yeah. laughs> you're going to get, uh, you're going to get the, uh, the, the mad mother. And some, I think kind of in the same sense, we got to wake up parents to help them see the real threat to their young people. In fact, uh, you know, focus on the family has a great resource, uh, the true you video series. But uh, in that, that series, they, they have a, like a 45 minute kind of, Almost like a documentary where it's, it's called the test. And basically it lays this out. You know, here's the challenges for young people. And that's the kind of stuff we need to get in front of our, our, uh, our parents and our church leaders to help wake them up to this real threat. Uh, you know, when you, it, when you're talking to the youth pastor, uh, you know, you might want to, you know, ask him questions about, um, uh, you know what would he, what would he be satisfied with in terms of uh, uh, the young people that graduate out of his ministry and uh, and stay within the faith and and have an impact on their college campus? I mean, what percentage of young people from his ministry does he want to see continue on in uh, in the faith and mm. uh, and help him? You know, when he, when when uh, he says, "Yeah, I, I want to see you know seventy five percent of them," or help him to see, well, look, this is what is actually the case uh you know things like that to just get the you know get people thinking but then also i think maybe is to get involved in leadership uh mm. you know if if you're concerned about the youth ministry at your church well then don't don't be one of those christians uh that that, that simply complains <laughs> and i don't wanna, you know i don't want to give that impression that i'm sitting here beating up on youth pastors i um I, you know, I was one, so I understand the difficulties and the challenges and how many hats a youth pastor has to wear, the pressures from parents and pastors and whoever it might be. So what I, w- what I appreciated from my parents was that uh, I was always open to them bringing concerns, but then when they said, hey, can I get on board with you and help out, then, I, then they really had my ear, you know, um, because I, I, they were willing to, to jump on board and uh, get involved in the whole process and, and serve serve alongside me. Yeah. And so when they oftentimes, so I, well, not, I don't know if I'd say oftentimes, but sometimes youth pastors are just in a defensive posture when we come to them with different concerns. That's what I'm worried and, about, yeah. Yeah, so if, if they can first see that we're their ally, you know, and see that we're on their side, um, you know, and maybe you don't have the time to, to get involved with uh, the youth ministry on a volunteer basis, but have the youth pastor over for dinner. Have his wife and he over for dinner, uh, get to know them, support them, and just encourage, maybe just, you know, if your kids are young right now and you know that, hey, you're gonna stick it, you know, that you're, you're gonna be at this church for the long term and they're gonna go into this youth ministry, start building a relationship with the youth pastor now. Um, and, uh, uh help them to see you're an ally and that you're, you're a friend and that you're not just there to, you know, attack them and criticize them and that kind of thing. 
And that might be a way to kind of just kind of do it from the inside out. And especially if you can be on the volunteer staff and, and have some input and uh, that kind of thing, then uh, that's a way to kind of maybe get our youth ministries look, looking in a different direction and begin maybe helping them uh, train, you know, maybe we can kind of establish a partnership between youth ministries and parents to begin training our, our, our kids at an and even and, and you know what? Same thing with children's ministry as well. I think we got to start talking about this before junior high and high school. Well, yeah, and that leads to one last question that I have before we wrap up. I've got uh, three sons, and my oldest is only nine. Um, you know, we've briefly touched on a few things here and there, but are there some really, you know, uh, nuts and bolts practical ways you can recommend that we as parents of very young children can get can get started preparing our kids at a very early age? Yeah, there's a there's a lot out there and. This is again, this is something that I, my wife and I have been wrestling with and trying to figure out. We actually, actually changed our entire kind of, uh, approach to education. Our oldest daughter has gone through, um, you know, public education, K through six. And, uh, that after watching her, the kind of the influence on her, the challenges there, it made us rethink uh, education. So what we're, we've done with our younger ones is we've, we've started to homeschool them. Now I don't think that uh you know that that's an option that every parent has to do but uh all I'm I'm suggesting right now is number 1 think through your educational philosophy. Mm. Uh I think Christian parents can can have their young their, their kids in public public schools but if you do that you're going to have to really think carefully about how you uh how how you're going to you know you're going to train them how you're going to help them see Christianity as an area, not of just faith, but of knowledge, just like they view, you know, science and math and these kind of things, you're going to have to, uh, you know, try and, and offer training to your kid after they've already been in school for, you know, you know, six, eight hours a day and maybe not as motivated to learn. Um, so it's just, uh, it's a challenge. So I think maybe first thing is think through, how your kids are being educated and, um, you know, maybe there's, you know, consider Christian school or uh, homeschool. Um, if not, I, again, like I said, Christian parents can, can, uh, can do public education, but I just think it's a, in, from personal experience, I know it's a, it's a bigger challenge to then teach, uh, you know, pass on the faith that's been entrusted to us. But then, um, you, what you're going to have to do, what parents have to do is realize they're the primary, uh, they, they are the ones who are primarily responsible for the training of their young people. And so given our, our, our conversation here about, uh, youth ministries and, you know, the, probably the conversation can be extended to children's ministries. They're not going to get the discipleship they need. And so we, you know, we can't rely on the churches. I wish we could, you know, rely on them more. I wish we could partner with them more, but so it really oftentimes it solely falls on the parents. So. I think at a young age, say, you know, your boys are nine and under, at those younger ages, I focus on um, the what. I focus on theology with my kids uh, at that age. Uh, we we also do the why, apologetics, but uh, I'm really trying to give them the, the basic foundation. Mm. And so what I did, and, and of course I have, uh, this was, uh, you know, one of the advantages of homeschooling is that we, in our curriculum, you know, uh, the Bible is part of the curriculum and, uh, and it's not just a Bible class, but we're integrating, you know, scripture and Christianity throughout all the topics that we're teaching our kids. But, uh, this past year with my, uh, nine and seven year old, you know, I, I was, uh, I, I just simply took the, it's a children's illustrated Bible and I use that as the text and um, walk them through the narrative of the Old Testament. Mm. And basically my goal that last semester was to, to teach them the story of the Old Testament and to, and to help them see, you know, the, the, the covenants that God had with his people. And there was kind of, you know, key things. And that's what the Illustrated Bible helped pull out were here are the key, the key uh, moments kind of in the narrative, in the story of the Old Testament. And uh, so that was, uh, so I sat down with them and we would read that and then we'd discuss it. And then I just, I came up with, uh, you know, activities where they would, you know, I mean, just uh, one, you know, one simple thing was, okay, create a collage of an important event 
in the old Old Testament, or you know things like that. Um, but then was it was setting them up to point them to, of course, the New Testament and Jesus. But I had to sit down with the kids and read to them and spend an hour with them, or you know, thirty minutes or whatever throughout the day, just just doing that teaching with them. Because if I if I didn't look if I not if I didn't do that with them, they're, they're not going to get it anywhere else. Right. They're certainly not doing that at our you know at our church. Um, but then another thing that I that I do with my kids at these young ages I, is I take them with me. Now, of course, um, I, I take them with me when I go teach. So I have that advantage of, you know, when I'm teaching, they get to sit, they sit in on my, my talks and, and then we just, it, 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 this goes back to elevating your expectations. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm amazed at how much my, my uh, two younger ones have picked up from my talks. Mm. And, uh, so they, they, they are familiar with, uh, you know, the arguments for God's existence and they're familiar with, um, you know, uh, arguments for the reliability of scripture and they, they don't get it all, but they, boy, they pick up on a lot. So, um, but I take them with me, not just when I teach, but also, uh, you know, like I, like I said, we ha- you know, when we have a Mormon missionary come in, we have the kids sit down with us. If I'm, you know, if I'm talking with my neighbor and I end up getting in a conversation about faith, you know, I want my, you know, I'm trying to get my kid, you know, there next to me, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. Of course I, you know, I, I do these mission trips and uh, so I've taken my kids, uh, with me on those trips. And so, in fact, my son, uh, nine years old, I took him on his first Utah mission trip this past summer. Uh, so, again, going back to that fourfold strategy, um, I'm trying to implement it in my own home. I, I'm doing the classroom teaching with my kid where I sit down and we go through the scriptures together. Uh, but then I'm also then engaging them in experiences. And uh, so I think I think if you take that, you know, that strategy, um you know, you can you can do it with your own kids and uh, begin training them. And there's a lot of like there's a lot of other resources out there. Uh, there's our website. We we put together a youth website where we're trying to translate some of this stuff. Uh, like you mentioned, I, I started a podcast. There's some good curriculum out there for young people. Um, so there's some resources that can help you in that whole process. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. That's really good stuff. And I'm going to let you go because I know we're running out of time. But as, as we close, is there any sort of parting message that maybe you'd like to leave my listeners and me with? I mean, what most would you like to see us take away from our discussion today? I guess the, the very first thing um, I'd want parents to take away from this discussion is uh, that, that they need to do something, that they need to be intentional in training their young people. Um, because it's not going to happen if you're not intentional. And, uh, you know, I, I've got a, a great quote here. It's from philosopher Richard Rorty, where he talks about, uh, he's a, he's a college professor. He's, uh, he's not a Christian. And what he says is, he says, we try to arrange things. He says, we as college professors try to arrange things so that students who enter as bigoted, homophobic, religious fundamentalists will leave college with views more like our own. So he's what he's telling you is he's he's being intentional. Yeah. We try to arrange things. So he's got an intentional plan to uh, to disabuse your kids of their you know of their Christianity. He's intentional. You know they're intentional out there. Uh, I know. There's, I just came across a, a, a quote by a secular humanist who said, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to use public education uh, to, uh, to indoctrinate kids with secularism. Yeah. You know, so they're, they, they, they're, they're, there's a, an intentional plan out there. And I'd say to parents, you've got to be intentional. You, you've got to start because they're intentional out there. If we're not intentional in here, in our homes and in our churches, we will continue to use our long, young people. And just spend five minutes reflecting on your kid, uh, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whenever, when they leave your home and go off to college, and in that first semester, you getting a phone call from your kid saying, hey, mom, dad, I, I just want you to know I'm, I, I'm ditching this Christianity stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. And, uh, and having that conversation, having your kid say that to you, uh, think about what that's going to feel like. Yeah. And, um, if you don't want that to become reality, you got to do something. You got to begin planning. 
um, you got to begin training your young people. Yeah. Well, I tell you, if, if none of my listeners are convicted, I sure am. <laughs> um, <laughs> d- tell us where we can find some of the resources you've made available. You mentioned the, uh, the website that you've geared toward youth, your podcast, that kind of stuff. Where can they find those things? Yeah, the uh, youth website is uh, strplace.org. Um, strplace.org has a number of videos on there. We're trying to take some of the content and put it into video form. We're doing, uh, we're dealing with uh, challenges that young people get in college. And so on Tuesdays, we'll post a challenge. We'll encourage people to interact and give us their answers to the challenge. And then on Thursdays, I'll do a video response on how I would respond to these challenges. And also, we're trying to, we're really trying to, so we discovered students are accessing uh, video all the time on the internet, so we're trying to put our, our training into video form. But there's also articles and commentaries there. Uh, so strplace.org. Also, kind of the mothership, uh, str.org. There's a, you know, gosh, I think we have over a thousand pages of um, commentary on there. We've got a number of different podcasts. Uh, Greg Kokel, our president, does a radio show that's a great resource. Um, we've just started the Bulletproof uh, podcast, which I'll be doing some more recording for that today. Uh, that's uh, on there. Uh, so I'd say start there. Those uh, our, our two websites are a great resource to begin getting in touch with uh, uh, the material that our young people need. And, and what about the mission trips or, or getting you to speak at churches? How can we do that? Yeah, if you on STR... Uh, place.org. There's information there. Uh, there's information about me and contact information regarding uh, speaking at, at uh, youth groups or conferences or camps or whatever. We, you know, our view is we go wherever we're invited. And uh, so we will adapt our training to uh, your program. Uh, but the contact information is on strplace.org. And then also the information about the mission trips. The way it works right now is that we work with uh, individual groups. And so we don't have a trip right now where people can kind of sign up for it. But what we do is a youth ministry or a college ministry comes to us and they say, hey, we want to do uh, a Utah trip or we want to do a Berkeley trip. And what we do then is we, uh, we will customize a trip for that group. And uh, including the training, so uh, there's more information, and actually some video of uh, of the trip on uh, the strplace.org website. Great. Well, this has been really good. I really appreciate you taking the time with me. Thanks so much. Absolutely, Chris. My pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed today's interview, and more importantly, I hope you feel convicted if you're involved in youth ministry or are a parent like I am. I'll confess I've done a poor job so far of training my kids and preparing them to face challenges to their faith, and I hope this feeling of conviction that I have right now remains, and that I would, as Brett said, be intentional about it moving forward. I hope you'll join me next week to talk about Islam with Alan Schliemann, also from Stand of Reason, on the next episode of the Theapologetics Podcast. Until then...